Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio, that's right, BSH Radio, my name is Bill Matz. Tara Tara, look at you go with a fresh cup of joe. That's right, these playoffs are still going on, this is BSH Radio, uh, I'm your director of fun and games for the evening, but we're going to talk specifically the Flyers, getting into some other stuff, I'm kind of excited, I'm getting back into these playoffs, I'm feeling a little better about the Flyers. Let's just get into it. Let's talk about the uh, let's 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 get to the intros and lead it off with the fly by herself, Kelly Henkel. So I was like super into the playoffs while the Flyers were playing. I was watching other games. I was getting invested in who was going to win, and then the Flyers dropped out, and I dropped out too. And I totally don't know if I can get back into it, and it's weird because usually I'm like all into all of the playoffs. Yeah, I typically like to take a round off after the Flyers get eliminated, and that typically means, oh, no problem, you missed the second round, you're back for the Final Four. Great, conference finals, it'll be great. But now, since they made it to the second round, it was a little tough getting back into it. Uh, But I was saying off the air, I just got a new job producing a gambling show at Radio.com, and I'm like, Bill, you know hockey, make some picks. And I typically just make shit up. That's what I do on this show. But uh, people's money is at stake here, so I want to like at least have some sort of educated guess. So I've been getting back into it, and i got to say, I know we're going to talk about the Islanders and how it might be a little ugly, but uh, watching what they're doing to Tampa makes me feel a little better about the Flyers, uh, and that's made me feel better about hockey in general. So I get what you're saying, Kelly, but also... Uh, I'm, I'm, fi- I'm finding my way back into things. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think everybody kind of freaked out in Flyers World when Tampa just blew the Islanders out in Game One. But the rest of the series has been like way closer in terms yeah. of like the Islanders are are clearly the inferior team, but they sure. are ha- they are hanging with the Lightning in a way that Game One, which clearly was just because the Islanders were exhausted and Tampa was rested. In retrospect, but that game I think scared a lot of people because it was like, wow, the Islanders made us look like crap, and then the, the Lightning go and blow them out in Game One. Yeah, that that certainly was the case. And if you look at even like the bubble in basketball, 
uh, with these condensed schedules, even if it's just a few extra hours, what's been going on in these playoffs and the NBA, rest is a big deal. It really is here. Uh, and that voice you just heard was theathletic.com's own Charlie O'Connor. Yeah, so I'm going to keep going with this Islanders thing because there was, this is like maybe two or three weeks ago, there was this big contrarian debate um, on social media, on television about how the Islanders weren't actually boring. That actually they were fun and they scored a lot of goals. And if you thought they were boring, that you just weren't paying close enough attention to them and all the cool stuff they do. Well, I'd like to make it clear that last night basically drove a stake through the heart of that entire (laughs) argument. Because holy shit, they are boring. And that game was probably the... And I only only watched the overtime because I was working. I finally got done my article uh, at the end of regulation. So I watched the first overtime and the second overtime. For a playoff overtime game, a playoff double overtime game, those overtimes had no drama whatsoever. It was like watching paint dry. And it was it's all the Islanders because we know the Lightning can play fun. I hate yeah. them. I, I really so like much. I don't know if boring's the word. No, it is. Uh, no, I, I no, wasn't, he's right. It is. I wasn't bored last night. Like, is it the same as like back and forth pond hockey, tons of scoring chances? It isn't. Without a doubt. There are more exciting, uh, there are more exciting versions of hockey, but I, just because there aren't shots on goal doesn't mean there isn't like high leverage situations. And pretty much every Islanders game outside of that game one against Tampa, it's high leverage the whole way because it's so low event. You look at Tampa, the shooting, uh, like the shooting talent. They only need a few shots. And you look at the Isles, if you let them hang around, they are going to win. Like, this shouldn't be a series. I don't care how, like, let alone what we think of the Isles because of what they did to the Flyers or whatever. Tampa's fucking awesome. They're they're on a mission to win this thing. I think they're going to get it done. But the Isles, their ability to just hang in games makes it dramatic to me. Well, it's just, for me, like, what they do. I'm rooting for them. And it's taken me watching a lot of them this playoff to kind of put my finger on it. Why I hate the way they play so much is because they'll literally go like four or five minutes just not having the puck. And all they do is they, they sit back in their in their defensive zone structure and they just are like, we're not going to let you have anything. So then there's like, so there's like four or five minutes where basically they're not doing anything Nothing really happens because they're just not giving the other team anything. And then they go down the ice, and in 20 seconds, they create a dangerous chance. And the argument you were hearing from Islanders defenders was like, well, that's exciting because they're creating these cool chances. And it's like, well, sort of. But you had to watch four minutes of bullshit to get to it. And it doesn't even feel like they deserve it because they were just sitting back and doing nothing to get that chance. Like, is it good execution that they can just basically, like, sit back for five minutes and then immediately hit on a two-on-one that turns into a goal? Yeah, you have to respect it. But it doesn't feel like it's deserved. It feels like they just kind of sat back and did nothing and then, then magically created this chance. It's not doing nothing to not have the puck for four to five minutes and not allow Tampa to score. True. It, like, it's, that's it's true. not doing nothing. It's good execution. It's just boring as sin. I don't. I haven't found this boring. I found this series hard-hitting and high leverage. So wait, did you like the Devils in the 90s? I don't this is fucking the same remember thing. the 90s. 
Well, I'm sure if I was old. a Devils fan, I would have enjoyed it. See, I mean, it was a little. Well, that's bit the thing. Though. It's it's fine for the Islanders fans to yeah. like this. That's yeah, I don't, fine. I don't blame it's not them. fun for anybody else. If the Flyers were playing boring as shit hockey and continuing to win games, I'd probably be into it. If we but, had Scott Stevens delivering elbow drops off the top rope to everyone's best players, like. Paul Kareas, see you later, buddy. You're unconscious. Like, yeah, I think I would have enjoyed that. <laughs> I, I will say there is a, like there is a difference between the way the Islanders play stylistically and the way those Devils play because the way yeah. those Devils play that was the neutral zone trap. So basically, you had like most of the game there wasn't even any offense because it was so jammed up in the middle of the ice. And then the only way to break the trap was to dump it in past them. And then Marty Berdour would come out of his net, get the puck, send it back out, and then the then the other team would have to do it all over again. So like this is different because at least the Islanders allow you into the zone so like you are buzzing you're buzzing around trying to create something you just can't get through so it's a little bit different and it's definitely more eventful than devil's hockey in the 90s just because the way the rules have been changed you just can't play that kind of neutral zone trap like you could in the 90s but it's still not aesthetically pleasing in my opinion (laughs) like it kind of it reminds me of a little bit without the offensive talent like the lightning in 04 how the Flyers would seemingly have the puck, but just never get a shot through because every shot got blocked. Like, that's what it reminds me of a bit. I don't know. I'm enjoying it a little more than I thought I would be. But in reading a recent article by our own Charlie O'Connor, I came across the Chuck Fletcher quote, This week was sort of a week of decompression. This was a week to regroup mentally. And with that in mind, I, I, I want to cool the temperature of our recent Flyers discussions from the last show and from the post games and everything and start with something at least semi-positive, and that is Sean Couturier's Selkie Trophy. Uh, our 27-year-old 1C wins his first Selkie. Uh, it's his fifth finish in the top 10. He was the runner-up two seasons ago. Uh, I, I just want to have a general Couturier discussion here. Uh, what did you think of his year? To me, I thought he was very good, but in going with the trend of, of NHL awards, like looking at his last three seasons, I know the points aren't there and you can just, oh, well, clearly it wasn't as good. He didn't have the same points per game, but uh, did this feel like his best season of the last three to you? No, I don't think so. But I, I feel like the way that these awards are handed out is like accumulative. Yeah. For a while, everyone's like, he should win a Selkie. And then eventually, the guy that always wins the Selkie doesn't have a good year. And then they're like, up, oh, next up. So Couturier's line came. It was his turn. So now he's going to win the next, like, five. And then he'll <laughs> drop off, and then somebody new will win again. Yeah, I, I still think the the 2017-2018 season was his best. Like, you're yeah. talking about a year where, like, he was the top-line center. And I'm certainly not saying that, like, he was the reason, the only reason why Claude Giroux had an MVP season, but like he was a big reason why Claude Giroux scored a hundred plus points. Like Couturier that year was unreal. The thing was, was that I think there was always that feeling in the back of our heads that, you know, maybe this is a fluke with Couturier because he'd never had that good of a season before. Well, then last year he goes out and he does it again. And then this year he goes out and he does it again. So this is obviously him. Like I, I, I think this year and last year were close. I think you can make a case that 
either way. Maybe you, you argue that like the way that he was able to seemingly fix any player in the regular season that was broken once they got put on his line gives this year a little bit of a boost over the previous year. But I would still I would still personally say 2017-2018 is his best season that he's ever had. And like that team, like that 2017-18 team, they made the playoffs, but they weren't particularly good. They're not going to give it to a guy on a, on a team that just squeaks in or a team like with a terrible penalty kill. Like you're supposed to be the best two-way se- – and like the way the – not even two-way. You're supposed to be the best defensive forward. How is your penalty kill this freaking bad? Like it, there's all those things in that first year – there was, okay, Giroux gets ripped out of the MVP finalist, uh, but it's still like, all right, is this just Claude Giroux? He's back, and all right, yeah, he made Sean Couturier a good player, and since we've learned, eh, it's a little bit the other way around. Giroux's fallen off, and Couturier's helping him out a bit, so uh, I definitely think probably 2017-18 was his best year, but this was the best circumstance for him to win it. Uh, he finished like ninth last year. How's that fucking possible? That was ridiculous. It's because the Flyers sucked. Like, that was the only reason. Because he had a very similar year um, as compared to the year before when I believe he finished second. And it was just because the Flyers are bad. And it's the idea. the, the, The Selkie very much has that feeling where it's like, okay, if your team isn't good, how good of a two way player could you have actually been? That's I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's fair. I'm just saying that's the way a lot of voters look at it. I think I was just in terms of voting, considering he won last year and won the cup and was the main catalyst for everyone's now. Na- oh look, Ryan O'Reilly, he's a winner. Like I was surprised he finished third, weren't you? And like Couturier ran away with it. Yeah, I mean it was very much a like this is Couturier's year kind of thing. Yeah, that's. So, I remember when I did my analysis, my my view of the award was that. I mean, I voted for Couturier because I watch him, and I, I feel like he deserves it. But, like, I think it was a toss-up between him and O'Reilly. Like, I, if, if, you, if you voted for Ryan O'Reilly, I'm, like, that's fine. Like, he, he deserved it, in my mind, basically as much as Couturier did. So, I agree. I mean, he was my number two. If he would have won, I wouldn't have been mad um, because he had a great year. And, obviously, he, you know, whether, whether you should or you shouldn't, based on what they did the previous year, it does I'm assuming get into people's minds of how good he was last year in the playoffs because that wasn't involved with voting for uh, for last year's Selkie. So I wouldn't have had a problem with O'Reilly winning, but it's Bergeron. I mean, the Bergeron will always be the chalk pick as long as he plays because he's Patrice Bergeron. Yeah, that's like it seemed like that was purely a respect pick. He gets all right. It's it's Couturier's year. Ryan O'Reilly got his last year, so Bergeron, you're getting all the second place votes. Like that's just what it felt like to me. Uh, just looking at Couturier's season, he scored 22 goals this year. It was like a 26-ish goal pace. Uh, I found it funny that this was his first season with a goal total in the 20s. He jumped right from his mid-teens to the 30s, much like my memory does. Uh, <laughs> but I, it just like I was looking at his numbers, looking at his season, and it just reminded me. Remember those days when he was a 3C at best? No. Those days didn't actually exist. People just invented them in their minds. (laughs) He was always really good. People just didn't want to hear it because he was playing with shitty line mates on the third line. He was always really good, but you got to have more than like 11 goals. Like, I I, I very much. You're playing with. Didn't he play with like Zach Ronaldo for a whole season? There was was that one. There was that. We're going to make Zach Ronaldo a penalty penalty killer in a third line (laughs) player season. 
I was in the press box for that season. I loved it. I thought Ronaldo was. <laughs> I really thought loved it. I just I love the way Ronaldo plays, man. He, he talk about entertaining. A hundred miles an hour, no fucks given. He's gonna run into you no matter what way you're looking. I, listen, is it dangerous and good, or like, or is it dangerous? Yes. Is it good? No. But it was fun to watch for a little bit. Uh, but no, it just made me think like of that exit interview with Craig Berube, and he compares him to Bergeron. They're like. He's like, Bergeron gets all those D-zone starts. He still scores. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah he's I playing forgot with, about that. He's playing with fucking Brad Marchand over here. <laughs> like, <laughs> you got him playing with Matt Reed, and that's his best ma- Like That's his best possible <laughs> line mate. That's his best possible match. And now, like, a few years later, he's blowing Bergeron away in Selkie voting. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, I think for me... Like, there was a time period when he was probably just a third-line center. Like, his first couple years. A good one. Yeah, a good one, but was just a third-line center. I do think, and this was where I really started to get into debates with people back then, was that he took the leap. He took the leap before people realized he did. Like, I think it was 2015-16 was the year when his underlying numbers skyrocketed. And he scored. He he just got hurt. He got hurt, yeah. So everybody started yelling, like, well, you can't say he scored because, you know, he didn't break the 40-point threshold. It's like, well, if he wouldn't have got hurt, he would have. He was on pace for it. And then, oh, well, you can't talk. That's that's theoretical. It's like, well, if you're really breaking down the numbers, it's not really theoretical. It's what he did. Um, so yeah, I think like to Points me, per game isn't theoretical. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's what happened. It's the fucking thing that happened. It, so <laughs> I would agree that he wasn't always just a third-line center. I just think that, like... Couturier's real leap probably happened two years before the point totals made it look like he made that leap. It was just that in that year, he was finally given Claude Giroux as a line mate and put on the top power play unit, and lo and behold, he's a point-per-game guy. I'm shocked. Ooh, wild. Yes, crazy how that happens. Yeah, like, our second power play was a literal joke for, for years, and maybe he's on it, maybe he's not. He He's playing, like we said, with Matt Reed at best. It really wasn't surprising that he didn't break out until after that. I just, it was just funny. Uh, but he's he's that guy now. He is the Flyers 1C. Uh, I call him one of the three most important pieces on the team in terms of their future. Uh, but he's also, like, he's been here 10 years, man. Uh, he turns 28 in December. How much longer do you think we can count on elite couturier and i'm not trying to like oh it's over already like i'm not trying to be negative i'm just like trying to set my own expectation for the window because in my head you need the three things the one c the one d and the one g well the Provorov, he's coming along as the one d Hart, obviously coming along as the one g couturier is already there like is the way he plays, it's not like he relies on speed. It's not like he re- relies on, you know, incredible creativity or any of that. Like, can we expect this level of Couturier for an extended prime? I mean, I figure we at least have another, like, three years of elite Couturier. I don't think that's a stretch. Yeah, it's it's an interesting question because, you know, players get old we've watched it with drew we've watched it with voracek you know the aging curve in the end is undefeated um so yeah i think it's a reasonable point to make that you know this might be the best we see of sean Couturier, and he might drop off that said 
I think he's the type of player that um, that you know he's one, one thing that's always been said about Couturier, you know, from his rookie year on to to today, is the work ethic, the attention to detail, and, and just the the hockey IQ. And I feel like his because of that, he's more likely to age well. That said, it's you know it's an optimistic thing. We're sure. obviously going to be optimistic. We watch Sean Gattari. We want him to stay good. Um, but I, I just I do think that you know with the way he plays until he like really loses a skating step, I don't think that what he's good at is going to be hurt dramatically by him moving into his late twenties, early thirties. You know what I mean? Oh mm-hmm. yeah, like and even though like it's it's a grind, his role is a grind. But he's not the most overtly physical guy in the league, you know? Yeah. And he doesn't have to be. Like, watch him in the neutral zone, man. He makes things happen like he's throwing a hit, and he's not. He's just in the right spot. And, up, oh, tip that puck, and I have it, and we're going the other way. So I think it's definitely possible. And like, he, he's never been fast. He's not, like, losing a step. He doesn't have a step to begin with. He's relied on everything else since he was a teenager. So uh, I, I was just wondering, because... I'm thinking about, we, we talked about how these playoffs were a learning experience for all the young guys. Well, I know he's 27, but the playoffs were a learning experience for Couturier too. This is the first time in the second round since his rookie season. He's never had to be Selkie 1C Couturier at this level before. I think, it, well, let me ask this. Is it reasonable to expect more from him in the next playoffs? Yes. Yeah, I yeah. think so. I mean, and I agree. I don't think he was terrible, but I certainly don't think he was as good as he could have been, especially because of the way the Flyers deployed their lines. If and and maybe this was a I, I've some people have theorized this, and it's one of those things where it's impossible to know one way or the other. But I think there's at least a case for this. So the thing I pointed out after the series was that the weird thing about the way Vigneault deployed his lines, especially in the Islander series, but in the Montreal series to a point, was that he didn't really use Couture as the super shutdown setter. He basically. That was part the the way he used Nate Thompson. He used Nate Thompson as like a secondary shutdown center, and was used that as a way to free up Couturier's line. You know, they spent they spent more time against Casey Sezikis than they did against Matt Barzell in that Islanders series, which is wild because it's so different from the way we think of Sean Couturier being used. And the idea was, let's give the Couturier line a lot of offensive zone starts, let's give them easier matchups, and let's see if that gets them to break out. So, like, yeah, Couturier's underlying numbers in the series, they were good. You know, I think he finished with, like, a— 54% expected goals and like a 56, 57% Corsi or whatever, which is good. But the thing is, is that like with the usage he was getting, the Flyers kind of needed him to utterly crush it. Yeah. Because if you're going up against Casey Sezikis and you're Sean Couturier and Claude Giroux, like you can't just win that matchup. You have to dominate that matchup because that's Nate the, Thompson. That's the idea. Yeah, Nate Thompson is going to get dominated by Matt Barzell, so you need to make up for that. And I think that Couturier, while he was good, was put in situations where he could have been great to amazing, and he just wasn't. And 
maybe, this was the argument you heard from some people, was that maybe it's not a good idea to use Katuria in that role. Maybe he's the kind of guy who thrives on the competition of going head-to-head with a, with the, another team's top-line center, and that just that is what gets him to, to elevate his game. That might be true. You can't prove it either way. That might be true. But considering the way he was used, I think the Flyers needed him to be great, and he wasn't. Yeah, I was looking at Natural Stat Trick last night, and uh, yes, I, I know what that website is, Charlie. And uh, <laughs> I, I was like, I was looking at the the offensive zone start numbers, and yeah. that's what made me think of the Baruby thing about all the defensive zone starts. But uh, like, other than Connor Bunneman and Oscar Lindblom, who hasn't played hockey since December and went through cancer treatments in the meantime, Couturier and Voracek got more offensive zone starts than anybody. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, like Drew, obviously, he's even if he's just the second center out there, takes a ton of defensive zone draws. So that uh, that changes his number. But Coots and, and Jake were out there for like 70 percent of the time in offensive zone starts. It was incredible. No, they were trying to free those guys up. Yeah. And that's why, as I said, like, yeah, their numbers were good. And I'm not discounting that. But with the way they were being used, you kind of need them to be great. And Voracek was in the Montreal series, credit him there. The Islander series, he was okay, I guess. He didn't score. I didn't think he looked bad. But again, if you're getting that those kind of cushier matchups, you kind of need to score. And it's the same thing with Couturier. They need a Couturier to dominate in that series. If you weren't going to put him head-to-head against Barzell and tell, and tell him, win that matchup, slow down Barzell, then he needed to dominate everybody else. And he didn't. He was just okay. So you talked about how he might thrive on, in, these, uh, in these competitive situations against other teams' top centers. And one of the fun running storylines uh, that we you know, made fun of on Twitter all season was the top 20 centers list from NHL Network from ah. last August. Uh, just look at these top five, and let's throw... It's, it's McDavid, Crosby, McKinnon, Barkov. Let's move point up into the top five, move Tavares down. Uh, after these top five, and Crosby, whether he's a top five center anymore or not, he still is, so we'll call him that. Where does he fit in on this list? Because he fucking, it seemed like he made a point in some games to really beat the shit out of some guys that were on this list that he wasn't named on. I mean, there's there's a lot of guys in this list that I think he's better than. Not not yeah. all, you know. I I, I don't oh, think no, I'd put I, him I think top there's five quite a few. And, yeah, and I I don't know if I would even put him top ten. But like, you know, really? Sean Monahan, Nicholas Backstrom, Kuznetsov. Uh, yeah, like Kuznetsov, know, really? Yeah, like really. I mean, I think I put him over Shifley, Sagan, definitely. Couture, Couture well, absolutely. Like those I are the put guys. Him over Eichel. I mean, I yeah, know Eichel's, Eichel's, Eichel's really good. I though. know he's really good, but like. What has he, what has he done? Like Sean yeah, Couturier, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, really well, I'm gonna though. hold him to the standard Couturier was held to. Yeah, right. Your team, team sucks. sucks. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> With your Bill S. Preston Esquire hair. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would put him over Barkoff personally. I know everybody I loves so. Barkoff, but I think he's better than Barkoff right now. I just, maybe, I looked at maybe the Barkoff's numbers better offensively. Against- I looked at the numbers against Barkov this year, and they were like, I know he beat up a lot of guys on this list. It looked like Barkov had some success against him this year, at least from a, uh, you know, analytics standpoint. Yeah, okay, that's fair. I mean, Barkov's really good. Like, the, yeah. I, I, he's in that, to me, he's in that whole, like, Barkov-O'Reilly tier, you know, maybe a little bit below. I, I mean, 
who knows with Stamkos? Like, is Stamkos better than Couturier when they're playing? Probably, but, like, Stamkos doesn't seem to play that yeah, much Yeah, Stamkos anymore. doesn't really do too much <laughs> hockey, so, like, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to properly rate him since I haven't seen him play in fucking forever. Yeah, like, I mean, Ajo's probably in that same tier with Couturier. He's really good. Pedersen, same, I would put him in, in that same tier. So, like, I, I don't know. To me, is probably in, like, the... 8 to 12 range, maybe. Okay. Yeah, I just, I was looking at the list and, like, had to laugh to myself about some of these. I was like, oh, yeah, Tyler Sagan, sure, if you made this list four years ago. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like my buddy who doesn't watch football and just drafts, like, the 2011 Pro Bowl team at the at the fantasy draft. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this would have been a great team fucking a decade ago, bud. Adrian Peterson, second-round pick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so, uh, in, uh, moving, uh, putting a bow on this uh, Couturier convo, he's got two more seasons on this awesome uh, $4.33 million uh, average annual value deal. What will he be worth in what I presume will be the summer of 2022? Who knows how seasons are going to go, but uh, like his free agent year, and they could you know get him wrapped up before that but what do you think he's going to be worth like does he get into that high-end nine nine and a half territory or is he more in Giroux's eight-ish million range no I I think I think he's in that nine nine and a half the the guy who I look at and I know he's not a center but I look at him kind of as a good comparable is Mark Stone Mark Stone yeah and Stone got 9.5 so like yeah I think it's probably is in the nine to ten range and we all said like that nine point five, if it's not Vegas, if it's if he hits the open market, like it's a bit more. Yeah, yeah, probably. So, but I'm yeah, I I would say that range. Like the the thing that is going to complicate things is just the fact that we're probably gonna have a stagnant cap for a few years, so there's gonna be a little bit less money to go around and whatnot. But the big name guys are still gonna get paid. So I. I, it's hard for me to imagine the Flyers letting Shogaturi go when this contract is done, unless he really falls off a cliff. So they're just going to have to pay him. And you know what? It's kind of like a thing where you got him for such a bargain for so long that, like, you know, just, just pay the man his money. Yeah. And, like, you have you have Provorov wrapped up. That's the other, like, major expense internally that you could have. Uh, obviously, you're going to have to re-up Giroux in the same offseason as uh, as Couturier, and we've talked a, mo- a million times, I'm just hoping they swap cap hits. Like, uh, it's going to be a little more. I'm hoping Giroux's like five, and, you know, Couturier's around nine-ish. Like, that's that's the hope, but it's basically those two swap deals. Is that possible? Like, do you think that's going to happen, or does Giroux command more money because he's called Giroux? I think Giroux will take a, will take a pay cut. I think I, so, too. I, I don't know how extensive that pay cut's going to be. But I think he's going to take a pay cut, sure. I think I can see him wanting to retire a flyer. Unless they do a thing where, like, they trade him so he can go win a cup somewhere, like they did with Tiemannan. But I, I do think he would take, like, a team-friendly pay cut in order to stay here. And, like, Tiemannan is, at that point, like, on his last legs. You know, yeah. if he wasn't chemo Tiemannan, he wouldn't be dressing in those playoffs for Chicago. Right. He didn't in some games. Uh, but earlier I mentioned the Flyers window being open right now, and I talked in a previous show about how I worry things don't match up 
properly. Like, you know, Drew and Voracek are going to continue aging. The young guys, I'm not sure. But when they're ready gonna to, like, take control of this thing. Uh, but one of the reasons I bring up the window being open right now is because I question the best way to attack this offseason. Uh, we all obviously want Patrick and Frost to become productive players, if not all-stars in this league, but it doesn't feel like they have time to wait for that. And 3C is very clearly a major hole on this team uh, with everything Nolan Patrick's going through, Morgan Frost, we'll see. How do they? How should they attack this issue given the internal options? Hmm. It's a good question. Because, like, they should be all in. They have the goalie on the ELC still. Their young guys are at an age where you can expect more from them even though they're young. Their older guys aren't old yet. Couturier's in his prime. They should be all in now, right? I mean, you would think ideally, like, they would be winning a cup in the next two to three years. Like, that's the ideal, I think, optimum window for them to do it. And you're right. Like, I, I don't trust Nolan Patrick to be the three C that I'm rooting on for a him. cup. When I, yeah. I, I mean, if sure. It would be great, three- but yeah, mm, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I just, I, I don't know if they can rely on the internal options given what we saw in these playoffs. It's obvious that the three C hole is like a gaping wound that needs to be repaired. And I don't want to have to go with a Derek Grant, Nate Thompson option. Fuck no. Like, no, oh, well, we no. waited for Patrick, and now we have to go bargain hunting. Like, no, I don't want that at all. You're in a tough spot, though, because, yeah, I mean, number one, and this is something that can't be discounted at all, is the fact that because the cap isn't going up, every team is going to have to take gambles like this yes. because they're, you're not going to pretty much every team, maybe with the exception of the avalanche, like they just don't have the cap space to throw money at their problems. And the one advantage the flyers have over a lot of their, their, their peers, I guess you would call it, you know, their potential competition is that they, their biggest problems, they do have internal roadmaps to fix that in theory, all it's going to take is patience. Because, I mean, fine, we'll, we'll talk about Nolan Patrick. Like, we don't know what's going to happen with Nolan Patrick. We don't. We don't know if he's ever going to play again. We hope he will. I don't think the Flyers are giving up on him, but we don't know. But he's not the only option they have there. They also have Morgan Frost, and Morgan Frost is close. So the question really becomes, do you, you, know, do you give up assets? Do you trade away prospects or picks or roster players to fill a hole that in a year is going to solve itself anyway and it's a tough question I mean because then you run into a situation of like you know do we really want to and obviously it's not going to be as dramatic because the third the third line center position isn't as dramatic as the goalie but you worry you run into a situation where you give up on a guy you give up on Sergei Borowski because you need your your win now. You need to fill that hole now, and you go and get an immediate solution. And then a year later, Sergei Bobrovsky wins the the friggin' Vesna. Like that's the risk you take by being to win now when you have a clear path internally to solving a problem. And it's not they just have one clear path; they have two. They have if Nolan Patrick gets you know gets over the migraine disorder and is good, there's your solution. If he doesn't, but Morgan Frost is as good as we think he's going to be, there's your solution. It was not like they don't have a solution. It's whether we have the patience to wait for that solution. And that's Do we, uh, no, go, go ahead, ahead, Kelly. 
I was just gonna I was gonna ask if if we think that the reason that Morgan Frost hasn't gotten a long look yet is just is it size with him? It's a lot of things. I think it's I, I think they are being conservative with him. Yeah, you know, maybe more conservative than I I personally would like them to be. Um, because I think he's I think he's ready to be a useful NHLer right now. They seem to want him to be better than a useful NHLer before they bring him up. So they want him to get stronger. They want him to be better with pace. They want him to be more conscientious defensively. Like there are things that they seem they seem to want him to check a lot of boxes before they give him the the big long extended you're an NHLer go go get him kid kind That's of thing. So weird to me. But I do think they will give him that shot next year. Now, whether it's the start of the year, whether it's 30 games into the year, I'm not sure. But I think that's coming. Again, it's just a matter of whether we're willing to wait for it or if we want to just have the problem solved now and worry about what implications that might you know, have down the road later. I guess, I guess if I – I don't know. For some reason, I don't feel confident in them giving Frost – that 3C role full-time next season, like, at all. I think because we haven't seen him get a real shot at it at all, like, yet. And so that is the thing that makes me worry that if they go all of next year without letting Morgan Frost fill that role and they don't get Patrick back, and if they do get him back, he's not 100% of what we expect him to be, then we've gone a whole year without a 3C and then what? It's it's just this all over again, and that's what worries me. I think, and that's why, like, I I, I look at Charlie's um, uh, compared the Bobrovsky and Briz situation. What really makes that situation stand out is your win now option was the wrong option. If you get the right guy, like you can live with it. And I'm not saying give up on Patrick and Frost. Like trade other assets to figure out that role, and it we can look at the 3C much like we looked at the 2C this year. The best-case scenario we said all summer last year was, hey, if Kevin Hayes is the most overpaid 3C in hockey, that's one of them good problems because Nolan Patrick really worked out. Uh, so if they go and get a, a useful third-line center and then Frost and or Patrick break out eventually – all right, I can live with that as long as, like, I'm not saying give up on those guys. I'm just not, like, Morgan Frost, yeah, he had that awesome goal in his debut. He had two goals and an assist in his first two games. Then he played 18 games and had no goals and four assists. Like, I I don't know. What kind of a jump can I reasonably expect him to make year one to year two? I expect him to get stronger. I expect him to get better, but I'm not counting on him. I mean, the thing is, though, you don't, we're talking about the third line centers. Yeah. You don't need your third line center to be scoring 50, 55 points. Like it'd be cool, but you know, a third line center is gonna have stretches where he doesn't score a lot. That's why he's a third line center. That's why he's not a first or second line center. So if Morgan Frost, if they, if they brought him up game one and he delivered a 30, 35 point rookie year. I'm fine with that. That's third line center quality as long as he's not getting crushed defensively and you know the Flyers are are breaking even from a play driving standpoint when he's on the ice. Like that's cool. Is he capable of that? I personally think he is. Okay. The Flyers clearly aren't as convinced. I think he is. I just I need to see him put on a little weight and get a little smarter and just like and I'm not saying like he's got a low hockey IQ or I'm just saying like 
he needs more experience, and obviously the only way to get it is to get it, but right. uh, I don't know. I'm just I'm very torn on how to attack this offseason because I see a team with some minor adjustments could be very fucking good. All right, we're going to take a break, and we're going to talk more offseason and then a little bit of playoffs on the other side. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. All right, everybody, we are back, and we're going to talk some more off-season stuff. Uh, we were talking about you know, the potential of Morgan Frost and even Nolan Patrick joining this lineup and what we could uh, reasonably expect from them. Uh, this was a Fletcher quote. I can't remember if I got it in a Charlie piece or in a Carcitti piece. It was somewhere. Uh, but I mix those Fletch- two up all the time. What? <laughs> I mix those two up all the time. I, was, I read like so four Charlie different things. Charlie isn't Sam. I don't know. Uh, it was like <laughs> Fletcher's quotes, so I'm sure it was in every yeah. single thing I read. I just don't remember where I actually copied and pasted it from. Okay, Kelly? <laughs> God damn it. Don't make fun of the sweater, man. He's a legend. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Yeah, so this Fletcher quote, it's kind of what made me start thinking about how, how they're going to attack this offseason. Is it uh, a Fletcher quote? Because you have Fletcher in the outline, and then midway through it breaks and says, Vino said. Oh, this might be the Vino thing, and I fucked it up. Yep, you're right. Good job, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> I have the Vino quote in uh, I have the Vino quote in two different places. That's what happened. Yep. Way to go. All right, so Elaine Vino. Fuck all that Fletcher stuff. <laughs> <laughs> He says, uh, the one thing I find about this organization is we've got a lot of these young players right now that are pushing and probably need an opportunity to see if they can't make this league. It's going to be interesting. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I don't know when we're going to restart. I don't know how long we're going to have, but I'm hoping that everyone in this organization sees this great opportunity they have the, uh, this two, three, four, five months uh, to work on their conditioning, to work on their skill, to really work on their game. I know Vino has been more uh, overt in challenging some of his veterans, but this is kind of just saying, all right, show me, kid. Like, he's kind of calling out Frost and the youngsters, right? Not calling them out negatively, just challenging them. It well, seems like the... it, and I don't hate it. No, yeah, I love I mean, it. I th- I think the big thing is, and again, this goes back to the conversation we were having a few minutes ago. The big thing is, is that because of the realities of the stagnant cap and because of the way this team is built, if the Flyers are going to take the leap from where they were this year, which is basically an intriguing team that if everything breaks for I could go on a real run, to a year-in, year-out cup threat, it's going to need to come from the kids. Like, they're going to need to be the ones who push this team to the next level because the older guys are going to keep getting older. Like, they're going to keep getting worse. It's just a matter of whether the young guys can take that leap. So I don't think they have much of a choice but to push these guys, to really give it their all and try to make sure they understand just how important they are to this whole puzzle because they are. I mean, they need these guys to keep getting better. If they don't get better, the Flyers are going to stay a good team 
but they're not going to be, you know, a Tampa. They're not going to be a Vegas on paper. They're not going to be one of the juggernauts of the league unless the young guys step up and really, you know, push the Flyers to that point. So I, I totally understand why Bino is going this route. He has to. He has no choice. So what do we want the offseason to look like? Like, what is this, what is this ideal offseason for the Flyers? What do they come away with? Uh, will we be happy if they're like, we're going to give Morgan Frost every opportunity and they don't really address the 3C? But, you know, you don't have to only make trades at the trade deadline either. It could be, you know, whenever the season starts, say it's January, it could be mid-February and they're like, yep, we're going to have to trade some Phantoms to bring in, you know, a good second-line player or a good 3C or whatever. How do we want this offseason to look? I kind of don't want it to be that eventful, to be honest. As much as we just talked about the fact that they need to fill the 3C hole, I don't want them to do what Charlie described and go full Brzgalov and trade assets for somebody that's not very good just because he used to be good before and the Flyers you know, historically have really loved bringing in a guy that was good in 2011. You don't want to go get Paul Coffee? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, no Adam Oates trades this year, please. <laughs> like, I just, I, I don't know. I want them, I want them to have faith in the team that Ron Hextall put together for us because I do think that it's capable of being good enough. I like that you bring that up, Kelly, because I see it, I see it as a positive in two ways. I want them to have faith, and I think they do, in the team Hextall put together. But they're also not as married to the assets that Hextall collected. So if there's a trade to be made, I don't think they're going to have that same hesitation to be like, oh, I don't want to give up on this guy, I, I drafted him, etc. Like, I, I think it could work well in both directions, uh, what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the fence about what I want this offseason to look like because— on one hand, I, Bill, I get what you're saying about, you know, this is kind of the time to go all in. We've talked a lot about the concept of, like, the goalie being on an entry-level contract is like the quarterback being on an entry-level yeah, contract. Yeah. And this is the last year that Carter Hart isn't going to cost that much on the cap because you can be sure he's going to get a big-ass raise on his next contract. I don't know how big, but it's going to be a lot more than $730,000 yeah, a year. I don't know how big, but his salary's going to double at least, you know? <laughs> Triple at least, I would say. Yeah. Like, quadruple at least is yeah. probably a reasonable way to put it. I mean, you're talking like if he ends up on a $5 million deal, I'm going to think that's good for the Flyers. Oh, fuck um, yes. Five million. Yeah. Sign, I'll, I'll pitch in. Let's start a GoFundMe. Well, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm just talking, like, he would get that if he yeah. signs, like, a two- or three-year deal. Yeah, if they yeah. want him to sign with a seven- or eight-year deal, then, you know, cha-ching. But, um, but anyway, uh, the thing about it is that, to me, where the Flyers are at right now is that they have, like, from a raw talent and asset standpoint – they have what they need. A lot of it is just going to deal deal with, you know, whether these guys develop and whether these assets mature into something of real value. What I'm not quite sure yet is whether the fits are all there. You know, whether these pieces all fit together. But at the same time, I'm not sure if this is the right time if if, if it's I'm not sure if this is the right offseason to start 
making concrete decisions on whether the fits are wrong. Like, I'm not sure if this is the right time to say, well, we need X stylistic player, so let's trade away this guy for someone who fits better stylistically. Like, I think we're going to get to that point. I don't think we're there yet. And I think those are the moves. Like, obviously, they're the, the, the guy who gets brought up a lot stylistically is James Van Riemsdyk. You know, can you, can you maybe turn him into a guy who maybe fits this lineup better? And obviously, the cap makes it tougher because he's a $7 million a year guy. But, like, there's other guys, too. I mean, JVR is tougher because he's not going to bring, you know, he, he doesn't have a huge amount of value because of that contract. But, like, and I'm, look, I am far from saying that, like, these guys get traded. But, like, Guys like Travis Konechny, Travis Sanheim, like they are not necessarily untouchable if you can spin them into a guy who maybe fits the lineup better. The thing is, is that I don't know if I want to say that any of the Flyers, like objectively good players, are bad fits yet. Yeah. To me, I'd almost prefer to use next year as a year. Now that we know this team can be good, let's use next year as the year to evaluate all these players' fits. And then maybe next offseason is the offseason where you're like, well, you know, really like Joel Farabee, but if we can turn him into Johnny Goudreau and he fits this lineup better, maybe we think about it. You know what I mean? Also, I feel like those are the kinds of, like, trade deadline moves. Like, those are the kinds that you make, you know, halfway through the season when you figure this stuff out. I don't I don't like that in the offseason either, but, you know— by the time we get to the trade deadline next year, whenever that is, it it might be worth making those kinds of moves at that point. But like, it, I in, guess it depends on how close you think the team is next year. In my head, like this is the off season of, and I'm not singling these guys out. They're just the first two names that popped in my head. Like Wade Allison and Isaac Ratcliffe. What can we turn you into? Like, that's what this offseason is. I want to see Wade Allison on this team, though. Like, I don't want to trade him. I do, too, but I also want, like, an NHL-ready third-line center who can help kill penalties and drive play and, right, like, fair. help us win the fucking Stanley Cup. Like, it's... I would I want to see all these guys work out, but there's only 12 forward spots. There's only 6 D spots. Like... We can use Ratcliffe. I'm fine with that. <laughs> but Wade Allison, I kind of want to see. Ratcliffe is my boy. I'm just... Like, that was the first name that came to mind. Uh, I'm just saying, like... Those ancillary pieces that aren't necessarily going to be your, like, Morgan Frosts, that's, I'm not, I'm not against moving them a little bit. No, I, I think that's fair. And I think this kind of leads into the next part of the discussion because the Flyers, I mean, I did, I just released an article on the Flyers cap situation. And while it's possible for them to basically just, bring everybody back with the exception of the UFAs and, you know, sign everybody to new deals and barely squeak under the $81.5 million cap. If they're going to want to do some, some additions, if they're going to want to bring in some guys and what you're talking about is basically trade away prospects for a roster player. They're going to want to do that. They're going to have to clear some space. And oh, this yeah. is and this is where we get into the two guys who understandably get brought up the most in terms of how you clear space. James Van Riemsdyk, who we already talked about, and then Shane Goss Bear. So I want to kind of talk about that because if you want the Flyers to do something to make some ads, they got to move some pieces out because the cap ain't going up. So do we think that one or both of these guys is gone this fall? I wonder what the... Like, we've talked so much about how JVR is, like, 
him and a, and a pick. That's your that's your expansion protection for everything uh, for everything else you want to protect with from Seattle. And trading JVR is just wildly complicated. Like you're retaining some salary unless yeah. you're getting. JVR, but on defense or center, basically back, like the same, hey, he's a little overpaid, but you like what he can do, like, unless you're getting a $7 million guy back who makes, you know, more than he should, you're retaining some JVR salary, so I don't really know about him, but when we talk about roster fit, man, like, where does Ghost fit? I like the guy. I want him. I think him and Haig is your third pair next year. I'd like to see them run that out and see how it goes, but... If you're looking, like you said, you have to clear space somewhere if you want to improve the roster, that's where you start to me. I mean, I, I think I said last week, like, if if they didn't see fit to use Ghost yeah. in that Islanders series when they could not buy a goal to save literally their season. Couldn't score, I, power play sucked, Ghost ain't I, playing. Well, yeah, I, all right, I don't, so he's not going to play. If, that's my thing. Like, if they didn't use him then, they're never going to use him, so they might as well ship him off some somewhere, clear up the space. Maybe he finds his game someplace else. Maybe the Flyers then can use that money to improve the team and bring somebody in that they're actually going to play because at this point, there's no point in having Shane Gosses Bear on this team. Yeah, the, the, the thing that kind of turns, and I, I'm obviously a big Shane Gosses Bear fan. I've been a big Shane Gosses Bear fan pretty much since the day he was drafted. I've always wanted to see the Flyers find a way to make this whole thing work with Shane Gosper on the roster because I just think I think you know he's been around he's such a fun player to watch we've seen his upside I wanted to see them find a way to make it work but I keep kind of coming back to this okay I think there's generally there's generally a feeling that at least in my mind that the turning point of the Flyers season was that game in early January when they came back after the back, they, they, they played him in Carolina on the road at the end of the road trip. They came back to Philly to face the Capitals, and they won the game. And then from that point on, it seemed like they were a different team. They really started getting it going. They were rolling. They were driving play. They were scoring goals. Everything was clicking. So from that point on through the playoffs— Shane Gossespierre appeared in, and this is including the round robin in the playoffs, Shane Gossespierre dressed for seven games. That's it. And what that tells me is that as much as I like Shane Gossespierre, as much as I want to see them make it work with him, this team can play really well without him. Yeah, yeah. No, now, he's I'm not been saying, surpassed. I'm, I'm not saying that they are worse with him in the lineup. I think that is, that is a ridiculous statement because I think he's a good player. But they kind of have shown that they don't need him to play as well as we've seen them play well enough that got us really excited about this team. So if if you can play that well without him, it just leads you to think that is he really necessary on this team? And if he's not, can you afford in a stagnant cap world to tie up $4.5 million in a player who is not necessary anymore? That's yeah. And, and like getting to, I, I I love Ghost. Wherever he does get traded, like I'm hammering their uh, team futures for winning the Stanley Cup because that's the way things go here in Philadelphia. <laughs> but but it just doesn't seem like it's gonna work. You know, some at some point you got to shit or get off the pot with Ghost. Just sitting him or making him your sixth defenseman at four point five million. Like I I don't know. That money could be better allocated. Yeah, for sure. 
And it sucks because I I do think that this was the year that they could have given him a shot yeah. at getting his game back, and they just didn't do it. So and, and you got to get rid of like, him. We're also personally attached to him. I said, like, this front office and the coach aren't going to be as – they're not going to be as married to the youngsters uh, that we love because they're not their guys. Like, Ghost was our, like, lone glimmer of hope in the dark times, you know? <laughs> before, yeah. Provorov, yeah. before Provorov and Konechny and Sanheim, there was Ghost. And there was only Ghost. That was it. He was, oh, wow, an exciting guy. It's been since Claude Giroux. That's fun. Like – I, I want it to work out. I just don't see it. Speaking of the coach, though, Elaine Vigneault. So he finishes second behind Bruce Cassidy for Jack Adams. I don't understand that either, but whatever. Uh, he finishes second behind the guy with, uh, you know, the perfection line, who is good every year. I guess this year he's just the best. Uh, but the playoffs were a mixed bag for Vigneault. Factoring in the playoffs, how do we feel about A.V.'s how do we feel about AV moving forward? Not even the season he just had. What do we think about him from here on? I have uh, more questions about him than I had during the regular season. And it, it makes, because, so I don't think you can trust a Rangers fan's opinion of Elaine Vigneault. Um, but they did say some stuff when we got him that he kind of showed a little bit in the playoffs that makes me nervous. Like, he's not going to trust the kids. He's not going to play the kids. He's going to trust, you know, shitty Nate Thompson veterans over the young players when it counts. He's going to completely change his game in the playoffs. And it's just the, the stuff where I was like, nah, he's not going to do that here because he didn't really do it during the regular season. And then he kind of did it in the playoffs. I'm a little bit like, ooh, what do we got here? I don't know. When it gets to, like, did they play their game? And I think it's more execution than his plan was. I think the players just kind of sucked. Like, in terms of trusting the kids, you could just insert any coach's name there. Like, That's yeah, fair. it would. If, and fuck, if we had Mira Heiskanen and he was having this postseason, he'd be trusting him. Like, it's not. Who. Who was there to trust outside of, like, Nate Thompson? I'm not saying that was, yeah, let's use Nate Thompson as our secondary shutdown center. That didn't kill the Flyers. What killed the Flyers is Travis Konecki didn't score a fucking goal. Like, it had nothing to do with Elaine Vigneault in my mind there. But, no, I, I didn't love his playoffs, but I, I don't know if all those criticisms I can levy at him sincerely. Yeah, I don't. I don't buy, I didn't buy back then, and I still don't buy after these playoffs, the whole he doesn't trust the kids thing. Because the the primary example I will give you is the Travis Sanheim, Phil Myers pair. Yeah. They're, they're kids. They played like dog shit against the Islanders, and he just kept throwing them out there. You know why? Because he trusted them, because he knows they're the best players in the team. I mean, really, the, this whole, like, he doesn't trust the kids thing, it all goes back to Nate Thompson, I think. And... The fact is, is like they weren't going to use Morgan Frost as a fourth line center, especially not in the way that Nate Thompson was being used. And the way they were using Sean Couturier. Like, all right, if he's getting all the fucking offensive zone starts, what are we doing with Morgan Frost? Like, we're going to start, like, it just, I don't think there was a fit for him to be able to, like, trust the kids more than he did. Like, midseason, wasn't he lobbying for Morgan Frost? 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was. I, I can I, I can report that. Um, but uh, that that was that Frost being kept down. Oh, is that something more... you said to me not on the show? It was <laughs> no. I mean, I mean that's something I've heard. I, I've heard from reputable sources that basically, and I believe I, I think even Fletcher said this in a town hall. So it's not even like not public knowledge anymore. Basically that like Fletcher is the one that kind of wanted to keep Frost down and Vino was like, get me this guy, he can score. Hmm. So to me, I mean, to me, the, the problem, like the Nate Thompson problem isn't that he didn't trust the kids. The Nate Thompson problem does go back to a flaw that I, I did think was legitimate about Vino, And I think it, it will always be legitimate is that he does trust he has a tendency at times to believe bad players are better than they are. I mean, he did it in New York with Tanner Glass. He did it in New York with Dan Girardi. You saw it in the playoffs with Nate Thompson. And that's a problem. Luckily, you would think it's a problem that, like, Fletcher can deal with by just not giving him those players. Yeah. Like, give him no bad players. If yeah. I were the Flyers, I would simply ice only All-Stars. <laughs> But like, there's good no luck, way coach. That, like, like you, you look at Nate. You can't look at Nate Thompson and be like, okay, this is an example of him not trusting the kids because no one was going to trust Connor Bunneman or Morgan Frost in the role that Nate Thompson was being asked to play. Yeah, that's the thing. The like, pro- the, the the problem was that he thought Nate Thompson was better than he was. That was the problem. Yeah, the thing, like no, like Nolan Patrick wasn't benched. Nolan Patrick's ineligible to play because of a uh, fucking got migraine disorder like it's not like he wasn't trusted i don't i hate to i Seth's not here so i can't get yelled at i don't think about nolan patrick when i talk about the youths that this team could <laughs> use to improve no, itself like, like i in, in my mind he's not playing next year so yeah i'm just like they don't have Fair. that guy they don't have that guy that they're sitting that's like Hey, why don't we use him instead of like, like Nicholas Albe Q Bell? He could he's the first coach to ever give him a fucking chance. <laughs> We've been saying <laughs> for true. years, like, just play this kid. He drives play and he hits. These things are good. And then, <laughs> you know, he did those things once he got a chance. So uh, like yes, uh, I just don't think the youth we want was ready for the roles. And we can talk about roles, but again, like every, we could say that about every coach. Literally every coach is going to fall back on these things. It is possible, I will admit, it is possible that the result is coloring my opinion of what Elaine Vigneault did in the playoffs. Oh, listen, it's, I it's was. It's quite possible that I am biased. I was Team Vigneault, and I questioned some of his decisions in the playoffs, but I also know this is the best hockey I've seen in a decade. I'd like that to continue. Yeah, I, I, think, I think this is one of the things that Rangers fans, and some of them, I'm sure, on some level recognize it. But Bunch of fucking they, mole people living at, down at in the At the time, subway. they certainly did it. Um, <laughs> is that, like, the real disconnect between the fans' of view of, of these situations and Vigneault's view of these situations was basically... The way the fans looked at it with guys like Dan Girardi and, you know, whatever crappy third-pair defenseman was getting thrown out there and guys like Tanner Glass was that, and this is a totally reasonable way to look at it, is we know these guys stink. So just use a kid who might stink but might also not be bad. And the thing was was that the players that they were advocating to start over those guys, the young kids, most of them ended up actually being bad. 
It was just that like it was it was the plausible the, the possibility that they might not be as shitty as Tanner Glass and Dan Girardi that had people screaming to play them over the guys that they fucking hated. And like I totally get that, but it's just that like look. I, I like Connor Bunneman to a degree, and I probably would have rather had him on the fourth line than Nate Thompson, but, like, I'm not convinced that Connor Bunneman is an NHL player. Yeah, there's, to me, like, Bunneman, Thompson, if that's my if that's my biggest concern, I have no fucking concerns. Like, I, Connor Bunneman and Nate Thompson might as well be the same guy as far as, like, my fucking brain is going to process them. I don't care about Thompson versus Bunneman. Like, if that's the only thing the coach is screwing up, coach is doing a great fucking job. Yeah, like... Maybe don't wait. challenge clear... Like, don't put the team on the penalty kill yeah, after yeah. clear goals against that are going <laughs> to count that. in elimination games and shit. Like, that's kind of my hesitation with Vigneault uh, stems from more than lineup decisions. Yeah, my viewpoint of the, the young kids thing with Vigneault is this. The young players that are obviously good get to play Yeah. Him. The young players who are borderline NHLers probably don't. And we can scream and yell about it all we want, but then in three years, they're not going to be in the league. And it's going to be like, okay, well, were they better than the Tanner Glass or Nate Thompson? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe that moves the needle like, you know, a, a tenth of a win. But it's not like he was ignoring obviously really good players. You know what I mean? Phil Myers had like 75 games total, including like everything, you know? going into these playoffs and he's playing 20 minutes a night. Like, he'll trust the kids if they're fucking good. Yeah. Like, this isn't benching Oscar Lindblom for Yuri Laterra. Yeah, no, exactly. It's not oh. that. If that, like, that's a clear, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh. That's a, like, that's a clear choosing a bad player over an actually good player. Like, I don't, the guys who were playing, I don't know how much better or worse they were, and probably it's zero. It's it's zero equals zero in terms of Bunovan versus fucking Thompson to me. I don't give a shit. I just remembered we're going to get Oscar Lindblom back next season, and that fucking rules. No, I was yeah, I right? was drawing up the lineup in my head last night. I was, like, in my notes on my phone, like, putting in, trying to figure out who they could go get for 3C and what the lines could be. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, there's a chance to reunite the Couturier-Limblom-Konechny line. Like, Ooh. that's fucking exciting. Yes. And that's the note I'm going to leave on as we move, as we transition over to Ice Sport Radio, and we talk a little about the playoffs as we wrap this up here. I know I'm keeping you guys hostage. I'm sorry. Uh, but I just want to talk about these playoffs a little, because they've been, as usual, fucking ridiculous. Uh, I want to start with Dallas over Vegas. Um... My Can't God, believe that. Dallas beat Colorado and Vegas, and we can talk about Colorado's injuries and everything, but fuck it, they've earned it. Like, those are the two best teams in the West, and they beat them straight up. This is the opposite of the Flyers going to the final in 2010 because Montreal took care of shit for them. Like, Dallas, should we be surprised? Like, I don't know how they're doing it, but I'm proud of them. Good job, guys. I mean, all I, like, I don't watch a ton of Western Conference games because I keep old lady hours, but... All I ever heard about the Dallas Stars this season was that they couldn't score goals. And then the playoffs came and they just decided, oh, no, we're, we're going to score all the goals. And it's like, what the – how did you just turn this on? Like, what the fuck happened? I don't, get, I don't know. Like, two of their top four scorers are on defense. Mira Heiskanen, he's, like, front runner for Con Smythe right now, I'd say. 22 points in 21 games. He's first on the team, fourth among all players in the postseason. 
And good old John Klingberg, 16 points in 20 games, fourth on team, 16th overall in the playoffs. They're first and third among defensemen. They're deer scoring, but like, look at Jamie Ben's having a nice. Uh, I, I wanted Steph to be here so we could make Jamie Ben jokes. <laughs> I hadn't thought of one, but I figured I could come up with one. But like, Tyler Sagan, two goals, eight points in 20 playoff games. How is it that they're in the Stanley Cup final and Sagan isn't contributing, at least in terms of production? Yeah. I, the thing with Dallas is, like, this is such a weird playoff. Like, something, <laughs> like, something like this was bound to happen, I feel like. And it looks like I mean, maybe, maybe the Islanders are going to win three straight and we're all going to die. But, <laughs> um, but I, I feel like Tampa is eventually going to take them down and win that series. So, like, one of the teams is completely reasonable. Tampa was an obvious choice to make the cup final. You need it some type of chaos, and Dallas has been chaos. Like, one thing I've, I've said about them over the last few years is that, like, they are such a boring team on the ice, yet they are such a fun team off the ice because it's just constant chaos is surrounding that team. I mean— like. Like, the most boring part about the Stars is how they play. Everything else is ridiculous. I mean, there was, and like, there was zero boring about that Colorado series. Yeah, true, true. But then the Vegas series is back to them playing Dallas hockey and depending on their goalie and somehow squeaking it out, even though they were clearly not the better team in almost any of those games. Like, weird shit happens in the playoffs, and good for Dallas. They're making their run. You know, in a way, I kind of toss this back and forth be you know and it's not a perfect comparison but i think what really the, the the player comparison that stuck out to me why i have this comparison in my head and the comparison is this dallas team compared to the 2010 flyers team is kivy ronta reminds me so much of Vili Leno mm. that he just like came out of fucking nowhere and now he's like having all these big goals and it's like where did this guy come from where did this finn who no one knew who he was where did he come from and like they're getting carried by their defense you know the timely scoring it just seems like they have this magic where everything's breaking their way and then they're going to face off against a team that is just fucking loaded like Everybody knows that Tampa is not going to be able to keep this particular team together because it's just, like, going to break the salary cap if they do. And I just feel like Tampa is going to be the team that finally puts an end to this magic. But I just I see some parallels between I'm... Dallas and the Flyers. So Mike has been telling us that the Stars are good for, like, two or three years now. Yeah, but that's just because Micah's model is crazy influenced by goaltending. Oh. And Dallas's goaltending has always been really good. Well, look at Anton Kudobin, 920 save percentage, second in the playoffs. Like, goalies are part of the team. You know, as much as it's voodoo, their players out there wearing the sweater, they contribute to the games. If you have that advantage, it goes a long way, especially in the playoffs, as we see. Uh, as we've seen. Yeah, like, I, I, Charlie, I have to rewind all the way to the beginning of you talking about the stars because I have a joke and I have to tell it, obviously, or I'll, <laughs> I'll explode. Um, you're saying because these playoffs have been so crazy, maybe the stars are the perfect champion because of that big fat asterisk this is going to get. hey uh, there we go. It wasn't great, but it, it jumped in there. Uh, here's what, the last thing I'm going to say about Dallas, fam. Uh, I told you I'm producing this new uh, gambling show on Radio.com. It's called You Better You Bet. Listen to it. Uh, but I'm learning a little bit about the sports gambling. Jump all over Dallas to win the cup now. Because I just did. Uh, the, 
Say the Islanders come back, all of a sudden Dallas is going to be favored. Right now they're plus 130, great value. The Islanders are beating the shit out of Tampa. Tampa's going to have nothing left in the tank. Do not be surprised when the Stars beat Tampa. I don't even know how to do sports bets. Where do I do them? Uh, Download one of the apps. You're in Delaware. I don't know what's legal there, but I assume everything. I'm in Philly now. Cigarettes are like $6. Oh, right, you live in Philly now. I texted you the other day, where's your new place, and you didn't answer. I didn't get it. Oh, I must have texted someone else. Jesus Christ, who's that? <laughs> Fuck. Oh, well. Yeah. St- Ava's going to get a DM from someone like, Bill's hitting me up about where I live. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> All right, so Tampa in the Isles. Tampa's going to put this... I really... When I heard that they might rest Braden Point, he's not injured, they're going to rest him because he's a little banged up, I said, the Islanders are winning tonight. And it took two overtimes, but I was right about it. Uh, Tampa's going to end this thing, though, right? In six? They have to. I can't take it anymore. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm done with the aisles. I, somebody's got somebody's to get rid of them. Charlie, you always call me a contrarian, and I swear I don't do it on purpose. It's just the way my brain works. Like, I have, <laughs> I have thoughts that are different than everyone else's. I can't help it. I just keep find, finding myself rooting for the Islanders. Like, they play when they win, Maxine Nightingale, get, get right back where we started from. Let's start with that. Like, that's their victory song. Clutterbuck and Martin, I know Sezekis is hurt, but, like, how do you not love those three? They roster Ross Johnston, like, they were 19-10-3 when he was in the lineup this year. That's pretty fucking good. Uh, the team has rallied since Tavares left. I get Green Bay Packers vibes from them. They're like a neighborhood team because they're not the they're not the Rangers. I don't know. I just like them. The Islanders have allowed us to delude ourselves into thinking that Leo Komarov doesn't suck. <laughs> or is Trotz just that good that he knows how to get the best <laughs> out of everybody? Like Trotz wins a cup and doesn't get fucking re-signed by the team he won with. I respect that. Just going like, all right, and then two years later beats them and gets the coach that replaced them fired. I just like it. I hate Everyone's you. just like, end the show if this is what we're going to talk I, about. I just... <laughs> God damn it, Bill. I'm, I'm sick of watching them play. I think that, that's what it boils down to for me is I am just extremely sick of watching the Islanders it's, play hockey. It's going to be Tampa, but doesn't 2020 deserve Dallas and Long Island? Like, isn't that exactly what this year deserves? You make a fair God, point there. That would be an unwatchable series. We must continue to suffer until December 31st, so that would do it for sure. All right, gang. So I think we're going to wrap it up there because my my two co-hosts look like they're going to die. <laughs> Just thinking about it, like the exasperate of all the most ridiculous things I've said, the thought of Dallas and, and, the, and the Islanders is making Charlie exasperated. So we're going to wrap, like the look on his face, I wish you could all see it. Uh, <laughs> So we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. Uh, That's it. We're going to be around the whole offseason as we always are. So keep doing the thing. Uh, if If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button, rate and review. We need all that shit. It's important to us. So do it. We appreciate it. Uh, For Charlie, for Kelly, my name is Bill Matz. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah!